We know there are times where you're just too busy to sort through the mass of information that comes your way. So to make it easier for you to stay informed, subscribe to The Morning Agenda, WITF's news podcast, where the only agenda is you. Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC Heart and Vascular Institute, where you get access to the most advanced treatment options, including a range of clinical trials. Learn more at upmc.com slash centralpaheart. Pennsylvania is the third largest energy producer in the nation. The state generates the second most natural gas in the country. Pennsylvania is also number three nationally in producing energy from fossil fuels. Where the state lags is energy produced by renewable energies like solar, wind, and geothermal generation. According to an October report from the Penn Environment Research and Policy Center, Pennsylvania ranks 50th in the country for the rate of growth of renewables, although there has been an increase in the use of renewable energies. Patrick McDonough was the president and CEO of the environmental group Penn Future. Previously, he was the secretary of the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection and is on the on a spark today to talk about the state's energy future. Secretary McDonough, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be here, Scott. Can I still call you Secretary McDonald? I I always I preferred Pat when I was secretary. Okay, so. <laughs> I'll, I'll call you Pat. Then we'll we'll go with that. So Pennsylvania is one of the top energy producing states in the country. Natural gas, second in the nation. But you don't view that as a good thing, do you? No. I mean, I think um, we have had a long history in our state, uh, going back to timber uh, when, when we were founded, first oil well, the Drake oil well in the 1800s, uh, and then the natural gas uh, 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 discovery. And we've seen emissions going down. The, the issue is the rate at which uh, they're going down. And uh, when you look at how our state is doing compared to uh, how other states are doing, uh, we've gone from in 2010, uh, the fifth, uh, uh, the, we, we led the nation, we were fifth uh, in solar development. Today, we're the sixth worst in solar development. There's a lot of room for improvement. Technology is there. The economics are there. It really is a matter of policy and, and regulation now. Mm-hmm. When you say the economics are there, we're going to talk about economics a lot during this conversation. What do you mean the economics are there? So, you know, again, going back to uh, when I started with the department, we were uh, very excited about things like 16 megawatt uh, wind farms. Uh, in, in Somerset County. Now we're doing gigawatts of, of wind, uh, gigawatt of solar uh, across the state. And it's something that's become affordable for, for a lot of people. Uh, I have rooftop solar on my house. Uh, it was affordable. Utility scale solar uh, is, is very affordable. It's the cheapest uh, energy you can put onto the grid today, uh, cheaper than natural gas, uh, which is why there's so much of it in the queue right now. It's just a matter of uh, making sure that we have the infrastructure and the policies to support that. Well, let's talk about the incentives, though, mm-hmm. uh, because I want to talk about transitioning to renewables, and it would be a transition. Uh, fracking for natural gas in the Marcella Shale, when that came along, uh, you have to say it's been successful for, for the state since we are 
the second leading uh, uh, natural gas producing state in the, in the country. Uh, the state is an energy leader. Many people made a lot of money. There were jobs created. Over half of Pennsylvania homes are heated with natural gas. So what incentive is there to move quicker to renewable energies? Well, I, I think uh, two things. Uh, one, just just uh, to, to put a finer point on something you said, I think the natural gas industry has done very well. I think there's been reports out of places like the Ohio River Valley Institute uh, that say it's less certain how well the state itself has done, how people within the state uh, have done over that period of time, both economic economically and from a health perspective. Um, I think part of the issue is we don't have those kinds of incentives. Uh, going back to, to 2010, when, when we were fifth in the nation, uh, that was shortly after uh, the Alternative Energy Portfolio Standard was passed. And that is an act that requires uh, an increasing amount of renewable energy, alternative energy sources to be put on our grid. Well, that stopped, one, that was only a half a percent solar, and two, that ended uh, now almost three years ago. So when you look at the incentives and you look at what states around us are doing, both to incent production and manufacturing, uh, we aren't doing nearly enough in this space. Let's look at big picture, though. Absolutely. I mean, why do we need to make the move to renewables? Well, the the simple fact of the matter is uh, our, our climate is not getting better. We are the fourth uh, highest emitting uh, state in the country uh, for greenhouse gas emissions. And uh, while that sounds abstract, it has uh, real impacts, right? Uh, just last month at the Climate Change Advisory Committee at, at Pennsylvania DEP, uh, their contractor uh, presented data that showed where uh, a few years ago we thought we'd see an 8% increase in temperatures in the state. Um, we're now going to see a 9% increase. What does that mean? It means we go from the 14 days over 90 degrees that we had this past summer to 24, 36, depending on which scenario you look at. Um, we're lo looking at increasing precipitation and increasing drought because we get heavy rain events followed by nothing. Uh, and you're looking at uh, increasing floods uh, across the state and, and impacts particularly on coasts like in Philadelphia and, and Erie. You use the word abstract. For a lot of people, it is abstract, though. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, even with we have seen a, a changing climate here in Pennsylvania already. I mean, I just talked to uh, one of your former colleagues, uh, uh, the Secretary Russ Redding, the Secretary of Agriculture, a few weeks ago, talking about what farmers are seeing across the state. We're seeing it already, but it's subtle. So you have a lot of people out there saying, okay, well, you know, we hear about these things, but, uh, you know, we're kind of comfortable right now. So how do you get past that abstract to a point where you don't want to say it's an emergency, even though some people will, will say that, but that, uh, okay, we have to do something now. So, I, you know, we describe it uh, uh, as a crisis uh, and that we need to move with some urgency to really address these issues. Um, when one of the things they say, it's abstract, but at the same time, even if people don't use the word climate, they're describing climate, right? When you hear people say the weather hasn't been the way it's been before, or my basement had never flooded before and now it is flooding. Those are all things that relate to climate. If you're seeing more ticks, if you're seeing more mosquitoes, 
Those are things that relate to climate. So as we see things change, and, and you know, you're bringing up uh, uh, Secretary Redding, you know, we've seen changes in the hardiness zone. You know, when you go to Lowe's or Home Depot and you buy uh, seeds and it shows you on the back where things will grow, those are changing. They are changing what you can grow where and how uh, across the country and w- within the Commonwealth. So addressing this uh, is going to be critical going forward. Mm. You have written, I saw uh, an op-ed piece you wrote on in the Philadelphia Inquirer. You said that the Pennsylvania embraces fossil fuels. The powers to be, I assume, who you're talking about there. Again, I kind of asked the question, what incentive do they have? And by that, I mean legislators for the most part, but, uh, you know, people in the industry, people living where they produce natural gas, coal still is an issue. Uh, so what incentive is there to change? For me, it it really is an economic issue uh, in addition to the environmental issue. If you look at states that surround us, uh, you know, Oftentimes, you think of them as as very, very fossil heavy states. But even within that context, you have West Virginia building a a large scale battery plant. You have Ohio, uh, which is one of the nation's leaders in renewables coming onto the grid. You have Kentucky, their largest utility just uh, agreed to a 900% increase in solar and an additional 500 megawatts of battery power being put on the grid. The states around us are moving ahead uh, and these are the jobs of the future. These are the jobs that are not going away. When we look at the jobs that we're doubling down on, they're the things that uh, are, are, frankly, have the most regulatory and economic risk. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump, in 2016, when he was running for president, said that he was going to bring coal back, that this war on coal that the Obama administration had created, his words, uh, that it would end and he was going to bring coal back. Well, that didn't happen during his administration, and it's obviously not happening now during the Biden administration, but yet in the areas where coal was a traditional uh, leader, uh, you know, where people lived and worked in coal mines, those people still strongly support Trump. Which leads me to believe that they still think that we're going to live this way or the way we have lived forever. The Again, that economic piece of when you look at, at sites like Mitchell Power Station or now Homer City just, just uh, shut down, what is important in those areas is what comes next. And so far, nothing has come next. And that's another part of this abstraction when we talk about green jobs. Um, you need to see and feel that, right? You can't. Ju- it can't just be about, uh, you know, driving from uh, a rural southwest county up into Pittsburgh to install rooftop solar. It's got to be. What are the things we're going to build in these communities now that coal is going is going away? Has gone away in many of these communities, and we need to be supporting and 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 pushing uh, that. And when you look around at what where consumer demand is, where industrial demand is, where commercial demand is. It's more and more renewables. It's more and more them setting goals to reduce their own climate emissions. And we as a state need to be in a position to support that. We need to be in a position uh, to generate jobs off of that. We did it before with wood. We did it before with oil. We did it before with coal. We did it before with gas. 
now it is time for us to be doing it with renewables. Former Secretary McDonald is uh, you're not satisfied with how quickly things are are moving. So, best case scenario, what would Pennsylvania's energy f- future look like? Well, I think right now we're really presented with a choice. We see, you know, we saw um, uh, back when when fracking first began uh, a desire to build. Uh, natural gas plants. Now, the reality is we haven't seen natural gas plants being built in the last few years. That then pivoted to uh, plastic production, like the shell cracker. Uh, and again, there are reports out there that we aren't seeing the economic benefits. We aren't seeing the the job creation uh, uh, from that. Now we're talking about hydrogen and talking about hydrogen being produced from, from natural gas. And Again, I, you know, for for uh, myself and and my colleagues, it it is um, uh, learning from history that the promise of these things is never uh, what what you expect them to be, and we're talking about technologies that are unproven. Uh, nascent technologies. We're going to need hydrogen at some point, but you can produce that in a green way. You can produce that from renewable energy. Why we would build out infrastructure uh, to produce hydrogen from natural gas uh, going forward as opposed to, again, doubling down on, on the renewable side, as we see most other states doing right now, uh, is a problem. So that that, to me, is the choice, right? The choice is how do we incent not just through uh, grants and things like that, but our economic development engine in the state. How do we really lean in and make sure we're working to attract green hydrogen? We're uh, looking to attract battery manufacturing, electric vehicle component manufacturing, all of these things that are going to have to be built somewhere. And that's something we do well is build things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you touched on this a little bit earlier when we were talking about coal and how uh, the promises of the I don't know if we'd say promises, but people talking about the, what would replace coal and then uh, the people living in those areas did not see the kind of thing. I mean, uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, for, for the last few years, maybe even with you on, on this program, we've talked about transitioning and the jobs, the economy, how it can change. But yet we we haven't seen it. And I think people want to see that before they, I hate to keep going back to the word abstract, but it be, is abstract if they don't actually see it happening. It is It is one of the things, um, it's one of the reasons that I actually wrote the, the op-ed you referenced. Um, to me, and, and one of the reasons why uh, when I left DEP, I was very excited about um, uh, the opportunity to, to join Penn Future, is I think our state, our commonwealth, is the place to solve this. I think our commonwealth is the place where if we can get it right here, you can get it right anywhere. Um, we obviously, we, we have, uh, you know, that 102 to 101, 101 to 101 legislature, depending on the day of the week, um, which leads to a lot of fights and, and divisiveness. If we can put together like rational economic policy, rational environmental policy, rational climate policy around these issues, I really, really believe it would be a job creator. It would set us as as the example 
for the entire country as, as to how to do this, how to balance manufacturing jobs, a transition from fossil fuels, which is something a lot of the states that do well on this have never had to deal with. Um, I think I think we are the place where this needs to happen. Uh, and, and I get very, very excited and hopeful about that, frankly. Are you saying that the Pennsylvania legislature is the barrier to moving ahead quicker? Well, I mean, we're, we're in court. You know, my, my organization right now is in court over regional greenhouse gas initiative. And you'll hear Reggie. a lot of... Yeah, Reggie. Uh, you'll, he- you'll hear a lot of things said about that. And that, uh, uh, for those who may not be aware, it's uh, essentially a carbon pricing uh, uh, regulation. It is one of the basic things we can do. It's talked about as though it is uh, both... Uh, this out there reaching thing, uh, as well as something that's going to flip a switch tomorrow. And the realities uh, of those two two perspectives are, uh, one, it's, it's not going to change things tomorrow. It is designed to be incremental, which is one of the things that was an appeal of it uh, when, when I was at DEP, is it allowed that transition, gave us resources to further reduce uh, electricity prices for consumers. And then it's proven. I mean, we're surrounded by states that participate in the program. They've reduced their energy at the same time that they've uh, reduced their energy costs, rather, at the same time they've reduced their climate uh, emissions. But at the same time, there is opposition in the Pennsylvania legislature saying it would kill jobs, that uh, we would lose some energy independence or uh, some independence is is looking into our future. So, again, the reality of like the resilience and and independence conversation is, uh, for example, uh, on resiliency, uh, just take that for a moment. When you look at uh, solar wind on our grid. Uh, we're less than 10% today as we sit here. If you look, without doing anything to the grid, it can do 25-30% uh, of those. And that's without doing any of the smart grid kind of things. So we are a long way off from having a, a, a resiliency issue. Where we had a resiliency issue uh, a couple of Christmases ago, when they did the the final look at, at what caused that, it was predominantly natural gas plants not being able to operate in cold temperatures. That was the that was the impact. That was the danger. That was the resiliency issue. Mm. We have an email from Linda in New Providence who says, "I understand that Pennsylvania is the only state in the Northeast that does not permit community solar. A bipartisan bill was offered, but never made it out of committee. Our church in Southern Lancaster County has space we would like to dedicate to community solar that would enable many homeowners who otherwise cannot install solar." to be weaned from carbon fuels, how can we accomplish such a bill? Actually, it's it's one of those areas where there's there's been some really productive conversations, a lot of hope, I think, in the legislature to get something done. Community solar, for those who aren't aware, uh, you can put solar on your house today. Uh, companies can put in utility-scale solar, you know, the, those kind of fields of solar that you see. Community solar is putting up something in between those and allowing people to buy into it. But under our, our system right now to do net metering, which is uh, the, the easiest way to do um, uh, solar installation for a person, it's one account, one system. If you want to have multiple accounts going into a system, we need something like community solar. And it does give that opportunity. I grew up in a row home in Philly. Would have made no sense to put solar on, on our house, uh, practically speaking. But buying into something like this would have been great. 
So where's that legislation stand that she's talking uh, about? There was actually, there was supposed to be a hearing that just got snowed out. Uh, it's uh, going to be... Uh, ironically. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be <laughs> next month. Uh, along those same lines, though, and we only have about a minute or so left, there are some people who may support moving to renewables, but they don't want them in their backyards. Uh, massive solar farms or wind uh, turbines. I mean, that NIMBY syndrome has come. It has turned up, turned out to be uh, uh, another challenge here. Absolutely, and and uh, one of the things that that um, uh, I see is just using some of that to ask a question as a way of delay, right? So, for example, farms. The reality on farms is we've seen solar installed, leased, uh, leased ground, in order to allow that farm to continue farming, right? Otherwise, they'd be in danger of being subdivided, turned into houses, then it's gone as farmland forever. Solar is actually a lifeline for a lot of farmers uh, out there, as an example. But we need good municipal policy, good state policy in order to make sure that we are protecting our prime farmland and allowing uh, uh, production. But are we able to get that? I'm just almost out of time. Uh, are we able to get that buy-in from even those local officials? I only have about 10 seconds left. <laughs> Honestly, I think uh, it depends on the local officials today and, and what, what uh, they know about it. Uh, but we've seen a lot of really good developments in the municipal solar state space. Mm. Uh, Patrick McDonald's the president and CEO of the environmental group Penn Future. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Scott.